0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week.
1: Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure, but especially mine, to welcome you to episode 633 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, and your head number one this week, and I am fired up! What a jerk, and my name is Matt Baum, and I'll be playing the part
0: of your head number two. In this episode, the Cosmic Long Box is about to open and fling us through the comic time stream, where we'll be talking about eight classic martial arts comics.
1: After that, we'll set you nerds up with our must-read picks for next week's new comics, but now it's time to focus our chi, harden our fists into a thing of iron, and fearlessly flip into the cosmic long box.
0: With Shang-Chi hitting theaters this week, it only seemed fitting for a Cosmic Longbacks theme to be martial arts comics. So let's get these shirts off, Joe, and mm, get the flexing. It's time Why to I just talk this shirt. about these serious fits and kung fu kicking comics of yesteryear. hi
1: well, nothing says martial arts like Superboy in the Legion of Superheroes. I'll tell you what. <laughs> this is issue number 210 from DC Comics. 1975 was the year. It's written by Jim Shooter, who I think by 1975 had been writing the Legion of Superheroes for something like 37 years. Yeah, pretty sure. <laughs> he started when he was 14. That is an actual fact. Uh, the art is by Mike Grell. The cover price is the low, low price of 25 cents, uh, one quarter. Here's your solicit. It's not really a solicit, but here's a quick synopsis. Karate Kid meets Udon Sadaharu and learns about the connection between his sensei, sensei, and the villainous Black Dragon in this previously untold tale of his secret origin. Now, Everybody knows Joe Patrick loves the Legion of Superheroes. It's, Although it's an, a well established fact, I would like to add that I guilted Joe Patrick
0: into doing this. So.
1: You know, <laughs> I, if you had just let me get into it, I would have I was going to address it. I wasn't going to make the obvious choice to cover Karate Kid in this episode, but I was publicly shamed That's right. by Map Bomb. So here we are. Look, Karate Kid, Legion solo stories are hard because they don't ever get it their time to shine. And even when they have solo stories, it's more about like my girlfriend princess projectra or whatever. It's never about like karate kid doing karate. Hey, I totally get it. I'm just saying,
0: this is your chance to sell well, here. We karate are kid. So let's, it better be good. <laughs> it's, it's not that good. No, It's
1: not Jim shooter, Jim shooter packs an entire made for TV movies worth of melodrama into this short story as karate kid finally learns the truth about his parents. Villains are vanquished, valuable lessons are learned, and terrible dialogue is spoken. Just terrible. Karate Kid drops a reference to the Yellow Pages, which is good to know that they still exist a thousand years in the future. Well, I mean, like, the internet came and went, obviously. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. You know, it's like, right, it's like they reclaimed paper, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, we tried the uh, whole
0: internet thing, it didn't work out. Let's just let's just rule hey, it back.
1: Yes. Mike Grell combines great super karate action that's what it's called super karate with peak horny legion era style uh the lead story which has nothing to do with karate kid is nothing but mutton chops and boob windows oh yeah it's that is what the legion in the 70s was all
0: about there it's like they're heading to like club 54 or whatever the studio (laughs)
1: 5400 in the in the future uh and it wasn't just the ladies. You should take a gander at uh, Cosmic Boy's 70s costume. I would
0: argue some of the dudes are way sluttier than the girls. <laughs> they are. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> way uh,
1: there's one scene uh, in, the, in the Karate Kid story where he is dressed like some kind of future pimp, and it is amazing. Yeah. He's got like the fedora tipped forward. He's wearing a jacket, but only on his shoulders. Yep. It's awesome. Uh, it's look.
0: straight up Bruce Lee. It's what it is.
1: Yeah, I suppose. It's
0: straight uh, up, no doubt.
1: Oh, I guess I don't know enough about Bruce Lee to yeah, put like those, d- dress those like two things together. All right. So like well, that's fair. Um, look, I'll tell you what. Uh, in all of my years of reading the Legion of Superheroes, uh, reboots aside, this is the only Legion of Superheroes comic where I've ever seen the creative team make him look anything other than Lily White. In this comic, he is Asian. He is absolutely Asian. And uh, his dad is uh, evil Bruce Lee. Spoilers. You can see the twits coming a mile away. It's incredibly predictable. Uh, It's also a pretty great tribute to the Bruce Lee fever that was gripping America at the time. Superboy number 210 is dumb fun. I'm giving this a skim it. It's not great, but it is kind of fun. And Mike Grell era Legion is great stuff.
0: Mike Grell's art on this is great. I mean it it's kick ass Mike Grell art if you yeah, like. Yeah, and like Mike there's Grell.
1: like uh, there are poses, there are poses in the comic that are like, oh, that's that looks like it's ripped straight from that ad about like comp Dante. Complete no you know, they're straight up rip-off Bruce
0: Lee poses is what yeah. they are from like famous Bruce Lee movies and whatnot. And what's so funny about this is like they're not even trying to make this look like it's like a future thing you know like that. No, not no, at all no. it's this, a
1: kung fu movie and what know. year does this take place in three uh, to 29 okay, or whatever yeah, a but, thousand years ahead of the year the comic came but out but it may as well be 1970
0: something there, there's yeah, just no yes. hiding it and again it's super space kung fu or whatever this does not sell me on the karate kid by any means but it, it just wow, they were forcing it. They're really forcing it. Here. No, it's true. I,
1: I mean, and that's the f- the funny thing is, is that the like kung fu movies didn't become popular in America until like the 70s, but Karate Kid had been around since the 60s. Yeah. I don't understand how Karate Kid, like why they were like, yeah, let's put a karate guy in here. A joke from
0: a family guy was when they referred to karate as the Dane Cook of martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm giving it a skimming as well uh, I mean like you can see Grell Loves this shit and did some research
1: yeah, I can't yeah, say for the sure. same
0: for Shooter but
1: <laughs> you know <laughs> No I mean I, So like yeah the script has nothing At all about The martial arts other than the Fact that they reference no. Super karate yeah, once that's pretty much it. It's every, anything any Anything in here that is a love letter To kung fu movies is from Mike Grell 100% oh yeah your father is a dog, and your mother a pig. That's why you're ugly. You understand me?
0: Huh? I'm glad we started there, because now we can transpose of what was going on in Marvel in the 70s. I'm jumping backwards a year to 1974. This is Giant Size, Master of Kung Fu, number one from Marvel. It was written by Doug Mench with art by Paul Galassi. Full disclosure, this was my first exposure to Shang-Chi. And this creative team. As yeah, a very I was wondering.
1: I was wondering why you picked this instead of like first appearance of Shang Chi or is my, whatever this Master of is my Kung first Fu number exposure one exposure to him, and I
0: wanted to yeah, revisit no, it.
1: I hear you. My fair.
0: uncle had given me a box of his comics. They were mainly Spider Man, but there were a few random issues of Shang Chi, and this was the first one I had to read because the cover is so badass. It's just like Shang Chi, like Wah! I like smashing through the cover. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. In this issue, it's Shang-Chi's birthday and his dad, Fu Manchu, has sent several badass kung fu assassins to kill him. But they deliver the message they're going to kill him with a series of scarecrows wearing his clothes that are like, oh, man,
1: you're going to get killed on your uh, birthday, uh, bro. Uh, <laughs> they're, yeah, like effigies. Yeah. Uh, it's a very saber Wolverine dynamic, you know? Sure. Where Sabretooth very famously, like, tries to kill Wolverine every year on his birthday. Right.
0: Then there's another backup story by Mensch and artist Craig Russell, who's not quite as good as Paul Galassi. I'll just say that.
1: That's the nicest uh, way I
0: can say. It.
1: However, Craig Russell is also known as P. Craig Russell and would become no. one of the greatest artistic talents of this the 20th is century. This him? I believe it is, yes. Really? Because
0: like, yep. you, you would never know looking at this. You would never um, know. You know,
1: I, I looked at it, and I could see hints of kind of the style, but this is very standard You know, Marvel, this action, that blows me away. I had no idea. Yeah, I believe it is Pete Craig
0: Russell, yeah. We'll have to fact check that to be certain, but... uh, Uh, You keep going, and I'm going to do it right it. As the story goes, Marvel mandated Fu Manchu be added to this book as Shang-Chi's father because editorial didn't feel Kung Fu was an interesting enough angle for a character, period. Oh, they made him half white too because everybody knows they were selling comics to white kids after all. And just like what happened to Bruce Lee,
1: when he did the same thing to Karate Kid, I forgot.
0: Yes, they made Karate Kid white, too, for the same reason. So Bruce Lee was supposed to get the role, main role on the TV show Kung Fu. But the studio was like, eh, he's not quite white enough. Let's give it to David Carradine, because that makes more sense. Right? (laughs) Yeah. I didn't appreciate the innate racism behind Fu Manchu as a kid, but... I did love his secret palace and his hood and assassin squad. Glassy's art just leaps off the page and it's right out of my favorite Shaw Brothers martial arts flicks of the seventies. There's a lot of flexing and macho Kung Fu strikes, but Glassy brings real emotion and rage to his combat panels. I loved all the different assassins with the different weapons and different specialties. There's even a sexy female assassin that tries to use her female wiles on Shang-Chi. This issue and the whole mensch Run just oozes with B-movie, exploitation, kung fu theater, badassery, and I still love revisiting them. Are they problematic? Without a doubt. Yes. You have white guys oh, God. writing extremely Asian stereotypes, but... I would also the coloring
1: argue, of the Asian characters in this book is very yellow, literally yellow. Very yellow, but yes. I would also argue
0: this was Fu Manchu. This is who that character was at the time. Yeah. So, take it as you will. They removed Fu Manchu as Shang-Chi's father. It is now actually the Mandarin, as we're going to find out in the movie, if you didn't know. And by the way, the Jin Ling Yang book that's running right now is excellent. I'm giving this a huge bite. It was so fun to revisit.
1: I mean, okay. <laughs> Pump the brakes there. Uh it it's fun, yes. Uh and I would say it's a much better martial arts comic uh than the Karate Kid uh, yeah. comic was. Um you could tell that uh Galassi Galasi had an affinity for that s- style of storytelling, right. uh, for that for that genre of story. And, and it's, uh it's it, and it works in that regard. Kung fu, like you can
0: see them working. You can tell like they paid attention, whereas DC was just like, yeah, I bet we can figure this out. I mean, we're all white guys that don't go to movies and don't really like this <laughs> sure, stuff, right? right. But we'll just force it in the
1: Legion of Superheroes.
0: What do you say? <laughs>
1: right. Uh, confirmed real quick. Uh, P. Craig Russell was the artist in question of that wow. uh, second story. Um, and his original art uh, sold at auction from Heritage Auctions, which means it sold for probably quite a bit. The prices aren't even listed. Could be. Uh, so, which means if you have to ask, you can't afford it. Yeah. Uh, um, I thought this was fine. It's fun. You know, it, it's, it's very tropey, but again, in 1974, tropes, you know, didn't, they didn't feel as tropey, you know what I'm saying? Well, it, they, like they didn't, they weren't, they didn't like, have the same, they weren't tropes yeah, yet, I guess. Right, maybe. exactly. Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so it's, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like when you read Watchmen for the uh, I it's what like when you read Watchmen for the first time as an adult you know 30 years after reading a bunch of people trying to mimic Watchmen it's just like okay well sure. what's so special about this and think about well, what
0: was going on at the time like Werewolf by Night was the Marvel horror book and sure, you know yeah. this was the Marvel Kung Fu book so it's got to hit all those Kung Fu beats and it's got to do that Kung Fu thing you know sure
1: no, I mean, I'm giving this a skim it and not because I didn't like it. I had fun reading it. Um, Paul Galaci's art, I'm pleased to know that it has always been fucking weird. Yeah. Uh, like this, his art is weird okay, in it, this. It's weird. It gets weirder, though. As he got as older, he ages, it
0: got weird bad.
1: Right. It definitely did. Um. Now, I'm, I am uh, I am kind of surprised. I don't know where this came out in terms of the run of the main Master of Kung Fu series. But uh, I know, like, I've seen pages, uh, reprinted pages of uh, later issues of Master of Kung Fu where the Galasi art is stunning. Yeah. and So he comes a long way really fast.
0: So I think this was, so this was right after Doug Mensch took over because Jim Starlin was writing this book before. Oh, and, okay. and Starlin was like, I didn't know shit about these Kung Fu movies. I didn't really sure. care. He's like, I just took the job. And everyone pretty much agrees once Doug Mensch jumped on like yeah i mean it might as well have been a number 1 sure. and that's when it that's when it really got popular but right. i was looking up like what is the story behind these giant size comics cuz they all kind of came out pretty close in years but like what was the idea what were they where they come from and there's like no written history on the internet i
1: couldn't find i mean shit. i wonder if jason might have some insight but i, I like, if you know. look if you look back at like price guides and stuff you'll see that um for a while uh you would see giant size issues for a few years and then all of a sudden the numbering would become annuals right so i don't know like that isn't to say that there weren't annuals before but for some reason like for some reason this format became favored uh and like so like i remember specifically looking at the um the i had an x-men index uh book from uh the 80s where it listed let's kick that yeah i know uh, it, it listed all the issues uh, starting with Giant Size X Men number one, and it listed, you know, Giant Size X Men number two, number three, number four, and then all of a sudden it was annual this, annual that, annual, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's interesting. And sometimes they were original and sometimes they were reprints, sometimes they yeah. were both. And uh, yeah, like we read that one that we read that Vision and Scarlet Witch thing uh, from Giant Size Avengers, that terrible, terrible. uh, double wedding issue uh that was all 100 new 50 pages of new garbage Oof. and uh yeah uh so yeah this is a skim it it's a strong skim it because it's fun but look like you've got to be prepared that it is deeply racist um uh in a way that is probably unintentional well, you know right. it's, i mean the same it, way the luke not, cage
0: comics were at the time too like- sure
1: oh and like it's not yeah right and exactly And, you know, like they reprinted the first appearance of the Yellow Claw in the back of this, which I was stunned to see because that book is from the 40s. Right. And I I thought, oh, no, this is going to be very, very bad. But, like, the story of the Yellow Claws, they wanted that to be Fu Manchu. The right? Yellow Claw is Fu Manchu, yeah. If you look at the, like, a little intro text, yeah. they made they made the Yellow Claw Fu Manchu. And they didn't
0: have the rights to it at the time, and then later on, they were like, all right, we'll pay for it. Yeah, the like, they massaged the two characters together. Yeah, which was one of the reasons why this book got canceled, because they couldn't afford the rights to Fu Manchu anymore. And the book was selling well, but they were just like, we're not making any money on this.
1: It's cuz so, Sax Rohmer, baby, they were they were riding high on that Remo Williams money. They were I like, guess. "Pay me." And yeah,
0: Fu Manchu <laughs> was the man that killed Shang-Chi. So there yeah. you go. Know. Uh,
1: but yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's fun. It's just it is a troubled artifact of its yeah. time.
0: All right. Come out. He means me. I've just told you. You're gonna die. Ah! Ah,
1: ah, ah! Skipping ahead another few years to 1980. This is Captain America number 251 from Marvel. It's written by Roger Stern with art by John Byrne and Joe Rubenstein. It's got a cover price of 50 cents. I just, man, I miss those days, I know, right? Like, if I had $3 in change in my pocket, I felt like I was a wealthy man. Oh, yeah. I would go mow the lawn and then immediately run to the quick shop and buy, like, five cups. I know.
0: (laughs) It was great.
1: I loved it. Here is a synopsis. After armed men storm Wreckers Island prison and free the drugged Mr. Hyde, he wakes on Batrock the Leaper's floating barge headquarters. When Batrock asks for the $5 million Hyde had promised to whoever freed him, Hyde reveals, oops, there's no money yet. And he convinces Batroc to partner with him for a much larger prize. You could do that when you're as tough as the Hulk. You know? Exactly. Uh, yeah, right. It's yeah, true. It's I like, what are, gonna it. what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about it, Mr. The Leaper? You're, you're going to kick me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. After hearing that some of Hyde's rescuers had French accents, Captain America visits District Attorney Blake Tower to kick off a series of wild coincidences. (laughs) Yep. Uh, This is a real sweet spot for me when it comes to Captain America. This is where I found some of the first Cap issues I ever owned. Uh, They were a little bit later in the run where John Byrne was kind of, I don't know, I... I feel like John Byrne was writing and drawing for a time, but I don't remember if that's true or not. Um, but like I remember very vividly having uh, the the second part of the brother uh, the Baron Blood two parter, and I as a little kid I was like this guy is scary. I need to know more about Baron Blood. Yeah, Baron Blood was this terrifying. Is, I know. This issue is obviously the start of a creative run as we get a nice recap of uh, Cap's origin and his recent history, along with the aforementioned prison break and villainous scheme. Realizing there could only be one French criminal out there, Cap begins his search for Batroc at Blake Tower's office, just as the villain so happens to call with his demands. It's like, wow, man, what great timing. I know, right? Luckily, Batroc wants Cap to deliver some ransom money and he just happens to be standing there <laughs> and he springs into action. Uh, it's all very classic superhero stuff from Stern. I just wish we got to see more of Batroc in action. I, like, I wanted to do the first appearance of Batroc the Leaper from Tales of Suspense uh, 75. Batroc is literally on four pages. Yeah. Now, and I think issue, he kicks Captain America one time.
0: The next issue, we get to see Batroc and Cap team up and we get to see Batroc and like, Full action, and he's like as
1: capable as Cap. He does well. Sure, I mean he is he is the master of French feet boxing savata, (laughs) not beatboxing feet boxing. John Byrne's pencils do look great under the heavy inks of the legendary Joe Rubenstein, and I was pleased to see that Byrne actually did add something a little different to Batroc's fighting scenes. He illustrates Batrock's foot movements almost like the quick jabs of a boxer. If you look at them, they there's like a, um, like that trick they do when the flash is running, right? There's yeah. like a silhouette of, of his shape. Uh, and I thought that was really neat. Captain America. 251 is a great issue from a group of legendary creators. It might not be the best example of the theme, but I couldn't resist talking about the master of Safate on our martial arts show. Just, I'm giving this a buy it. It's just Savate. <laughs> I think I like it. I think, too, I think, it's something no, It's oh, definitely not like,
0: like Karate you. like karate. So this is a two-part story. 252 is when Betrack realizes like how heinous Mr. Hyde's plan is. And so he ends up teaming up with Cap. He's like, we gotta stop this dude. And the two of them literally beat up Mr. Hyde. And it's pretty awesome, <laughs> tell you the truth. We that can just great. see like Petroc being the badass that he actually is, which is great. Um, so Byrne never wrote Cap, it was all stern. Roger Stern okay. wrote all of it. Yeah. And John right. Byrne drew it. I also love these old cap issues. They are just yeah. too much fun. A bit ridiculous, of course, but I mean, like, sure, yeah. they are of their time. And man, this is back when, like, all it took was a well placed punch and you could take down Mr. Hyde, you know? Yeah. I <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> love it. Given that it's a huge bias. Huh? What's that? You are.
1: That's right. I am the third princess of the Ming Dynasty. Princess!
0: Let's crawl back to DC in the 70s and talk about Richard Dragon for a minute. This was 1975. I'm talking about Richard Dragon number five. It was written by Denny O'Neill with art by Rick Estrada and Wallace Wood, who you may know better, as Wally Wood. Okay, because Wally Wood's got some explaining to do. I totally agree. (laughs) While Marvel was printing the half-Asian adventures of Shang-Chi, DC had their own Kung Fu master, the super white Richard Dragon. I love the idea of Richard Dragon as one of Batman and the question's martial arts teachers, but it turns out that everything I know about the character comes from post-crisis comics, specifically (laughs) the Chuck Dixon Richard Dragon miniseries where they reveal all this stuff. I chose this issue because it's the first appearance of Lady Shiva, who Dragon goes on to train, and like the Richard dragon I love, she was also a very different character pre-crisis. Here we meet Sandra Wusan, a.k.a. Lady Shiva, and it turns out Guano Cravat has killed her sister, but he blamed Ricky Dragon. Guano is a well-known evil industrialist. He's also fat, Asian, colored yellow, and sits in a chair with a laser for a penis. But we'll get into that in a minute here. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. When Rick tells Lady Shiva it was actually an assassin named the Swiss, not the Swede, mind you, but the Swiss.
1: (laughs) Uh, I think it was K-Swiss. Right. Who was hired
0: by bird shit, pardon me, guano. They team up and (laughs) whoop his ass out of his laser penis chair that also had a side-mounted buffet table. He was a fat guy. So, yeah, yeah, eating,
1: no, right. he he couldn't stop eating because, yeah.
0: If you love the hot Kung Fu action of the 70s Shang-Chi, do not come looking for it here in this funky little white as fuck rump. <laughs> Rick is stiff, super polite to the point of not being tough in the face of danger, and the artist Estrada doesn't even try and make it look like he's Kung Fu-ing, if you will. although. There is a scene where he jumps up a rope while climbing a cliff and chops two generic bad guys with all the skill of William Shatner's Captain Kirk. There is nothing (laughs) racially problematic like Fu Manchu present other than the same white Kung Fu Messiah themes we've come to know. Ben Turner, who would go on to become the Bronze Tiger and hang with the Suicide Squad, is here though, but also not the character I knew at all. He just kind of wears a gi, has an afro, and loves the ladies.
1: Yeah, that's right. As long as
0: they're black ladies, because we can't have race mixing yet.
1: (laughs) We don't know that. He might
0: like white ladies. I'm sure he does. I can't speak to the whole Richard Dragon run, but this issue comes off as DC trying to make kung fu heroes hip and 70s cool with no reverence or even understanding for the aspects of martial arts cinema that fans of the genre love. Estrada, while not a bad artist, can certainly draw characters fighting, but there was nothing here that even remotely resembled the badass posing, chopping, and kicking of Shang-Chi. I love Denny O'Neill's Batman and his question series that he wrote, but the dialogue here just breezes right past bad and lands squarely on what the fuck. I just want to read a moment. He walks up and says, "I have an appointment with Ling for three. He, actually, he's coming to meet Bobby Ling, who is his. Who was going to tell him about Guanacavat? And the cop says, "Well, Turkey, my watch says it's five minutes to three, so you ain't going inside. Find some pigeons to feed." Yeah. They really drive him. They call him crud. And crud, yeah. Richard Dragon gets all tough and says, "Would you care to please rephrase your request politely?" I admire politeness. And the cop looks at him and says, "You admire sissiness." <laughs>
1: It's bad, yes. What it's is very, happening it's, it's really bad.
0: here? Later on, Lady Shiva has gone on cravat at her mercy, and she's about to get revenge. And he says to her, no, don't soil yourself. <laughs> His blood is not worth it. Like, what is happening? This is, it's like Richie Rich's butler, as a, like a kung fu master on the case here or something. I just don't get it. This is a leave it. They were out of their depth. I have no idea what they're going for. And I cannot believe that this actually sold and people enjoyed it.
1: So I'm looking here uh, again because of the presence of Wally Wood confirmed. uh, These pages are pages from this run sell through heritage auctions, which means they are big time. Uh, But. The internet cannot decide whether or not Rick Estrada is the penciler or if Wally Wood is the penciler. So I don't
0: really know. Yeah, the book itself lists Rick Estrada first and Wally Wood. It does list Rick Estrada first, but this website. And Wally Wood second. I don't know.
1: This website says that Wally Wood is the artist of this specific comic. Uh, Now, that could be be a mistake. I don't know. But anyway, uh, the art is not great. The art is not great. And uh the action like you said is stiff and clunky and uh not at all exciting. Um there are things that are not the fault of this comic where uh the opening scene with Guano Cravat which who I like to call batshit necktie. There is a a robed figure auditioning for the honor of killing Richard Dragon. And of course the robed figure dispatches Cravat's goons, and Cravat is like, You're the one. And I'm like, That's Shiva. You'd have to be an idiot not to know that that's Lady Shiva. Of course. Uh, First of all, she's on the cover fighting Richard Dragon. So it's already, you already know what's coming. So when she shows up later in the book as like this sexy lady in a kimono with a boob window, again with the boob window, she was
0: hot as hell too. Uh,
1: (laughs) And yeah, and she's like an informant for Ling. I was like, okay, well, I mean, obviously we're not supposed to believe that she's not evil, right? Because we already know that she's evil. Uh, And like, so obviously like I, I brought my future lady Shiva knowledge with me into this story, which I guess is not the fault of the story, but also she's on the cover kicking Richard dragon in the face. So I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. This comic sucks. It's a leave it. Uh, I I don't really know anything about Richard dragon other than what I've read from post crisis comics, like Matt, He's an interesting character, and the probably the best thing to happen to him uh, in the more recent uh, eras is that they made him not white. However, uh, he is Latino, which I think is kind of a lateral move in terms of martial art. Characters. No, I mean, like anybody can know
0: martial arts,
1: whatever. No, I know, you but know. it's like, I okay, yes, good job. You did away with the white savior trope, but right. it's like, oh, why did just make him Asian? Make him Asian, make eh, Richard yeah. Dragon Asian. Yeah, there's What's no the reason why it
0: couldn't be. Now, I will say I'm looking at Heritage Auctions, and I'm logged in because I'm a member. Oh, hey. All right. This page is listed as Rick Estrada and Wally Wood, Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter, number eight, and uh, partial story, Lady Lady Shiva, original art, sold for $776.
1: Yeah, that's, (laughs) uh, I mean, a fair amount for a comic book nobody gives a shit about. Yeah. Yeah, this website I'm on, which is an art blog called called Pencil, Pencil, Ink. Uh, it just says Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter number five, Wally Wood art. So, I think Wally Wood is the name that... He's the big know. name, right? Yeah. yeah, he's the guy you come to for this. Yeah. He, he's the guy you're coming for when you like, buy Richard Dragon. It Kung It looks Fu like Fighter it was
0: both one. of them. Well, think, it's not that good. No, and I'm going to blame Rick Estrada because Wally Wood kicks ass. So.
1: <laughs> it, it's true. It's true.
0: No offense to Rick if you're still around, all right? My Tiger Kung Fu is better than yours. I don't think you're good enough to avenge your master
1: all right let's get back to the goods we're going up to the 2000s now it's batgirl number 25 from dc it's 2002 now written by kelly puckett with art by damon scott its cover price is 325 which just is such an odd number to me, even still, yeah. That comic books ended with twenty-five as the right as the as the as the price. It was like
0: that time where I think they were just trying to see what they could get away with. Cause everything was like yeah. 3 dollars 99 And they're like, well, we could do three dollars, but why not just go where is it? I don't know. Three twenty five cents. Twenty six cents to three twenty-five.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I, I remember very clearly when comic books went from a dollar to a dollar twenty five and that was bad, but yeah. And and that doesn't seem as weird to me because if they had jumped from a dollar to a dollar fifty, I think there would have been a whole scale riot. Uh, But three twenty five, that's just it's just odd. Anyway, here's your solicit it's a rematch to the death between Batgirl and Lady Shiva. Cassandra trained the best she could, but is she ready for a fight against one of the greatest and deadliest martial artists in the world who ends up as the final victor? And how bad is Cassandra's death wish? So after months of foreshadowing, Cassandra's duel with Shiva is finally here. But what are her real motives for going through with what is essentially a suicide mission? Kelly Puckett excels at imbuing so much character into a story with so few words. While there are certainly other characters in the book, you have to remember that this was during a time when Cassandra Cain barely had a grasp of spoken language. Right. Having been raised as a silent weapon by her maniac father, David Cain. Oracle confronts Batgirl with the truth behind her death wish. Kane trained Bat- obviously trained Batgirl to be a weapon. And then as a little girl of eight, sent her to assassinate a man. And she has been living with that guilt. But Batgirl won't be stopped until Shiva kills her. And it happens. But that isn't the end of the story. After an amazing fight choreographed by the brilliant kinetic art of Damon Scott, Cassandra learns that she isn't the only one with a death wish, and the creative team deliver a pitch-perfect ending. I loved it. Sadly, Puckett and Scott weren't on the book for too much longer, and it would suffer a heartbreaking drop-in quality. Just, like, tragic. Yeah. But for a few shining years, this run of Batgirl was one of the best DC books on the stands. I'm giving it a huge
0: buy it. Yeah, this was from a time in DC Comics where, like, I was specifically paying most attention to the Bat books and like Justice League because it was more as an importer at the time. But oh my god, the Bat books were just in perfect marching order, and they were all so tough. And they were all, like, very martial arts driven. That was, like, what pushed everything. And this book, I loved Cassandra Kane so much. I loved Damon Scott's kind of weird art. He was very guilty of drawing everyone's face extremely round. <laughs> I don't know why, but everybody has like a basketball yeah. head. <laughs> but the motion behind his panels, the fight scenes, are so kick-ass. And, like, even when we get to see... Her talking, like, reliving her murdering the guy as a little girl. It's just completely awesome. Like, and you can tell she ripped the guy's throat out with two fingers and Mm -hmm. something. Straight up roadhoused him, basically, (laughs) which I just love. I I can't say enough about how much I love this character and this run. This is a gigantic buy it. And, man, it upsets me so much that we had to, like, go back to stephanie and then go back to babs when we had such a great batgirl cassandra Kane, and now she's like the orphan or whatever like or no what is she now is she batgirl again and yeah, no, she's the orphan No, oh, she's the orphan which meh whatever i but ha- she
1: is wearing her batgirl costume yeah
0: i just haven't cared about her since unfortunately this was such a fantastic run though if you've never read these go find
1: yeah, I'm looking here. I, I know that by like the mid 30s, uh, Dylan Horrocks was on, was on the book. So uh, Scott, I don't think Scott was on the book, or uh, Puckett and Scott, I don't think they were on the book for yeah, another I think like maybe did like five or six.
0: I think he did like 25 issues, maybe, and that was that.
1: Yeah. It's, a, it's tragic. I, it I,
0: really I'm is. still mad about it.
1: If you can, kill him. If you can't, then run. Let's
0: get away from talking about kung fu people and talk about some kung fu turtles. For a while, show we specifically Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one from IDW 2011. This was written by Kevin Eastman and Tom Waltz with art by Kevin Eastman and Dan Duncan. In 2011, it had been more than six years since Devil's Due published the last TMNT comic. It was a four issue series. Do you know who wrote that, Joe? I don't. It was Peter David. No kidding. Peter David wrote that series, it was pretty good. Nickelodeon had recently purchased the rights to TMNT and was working with IDW as a publisher. Tom Waltz came up with a new take on the Turtles, making them reincarnated ninjas from feudal Japan, born into the body of Turtles, and of course... No shit, really? ...one rat. Waltz ran the idea by TMNT creator Kevin Eastman, and he liked it so much that he agreed to come on board the project. This first issue serves as a reintroduction for the Turtles, along with a hint at their new origin. Now, I know I picked this issue up back in the day. For the life of me, I do not remember reading it. Revisiting the first issue made me want to start from the beginning and just read this entire series. Much like the IDW Transformer series, every time I've reviewed issues from TMNT, I have just adored them. TMNT changed the way we looked at martial arts comics back in the day by anthropomorphizing a family of ninjas with different weapon specialties we all love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for years and years and years but it was what it was and I would argue it wasn't until Tom Waltz came up with this new idea and really cemented this as a family outcast book where it was a group of ninjas forced into turtle bodies who seemingly became somewhat human turtles again as ridiculous as it sounds they have nowhere else to go they're a group of outcasts that's forced to be a family and this is considered by Not just us, but a lot of people to be one of the best monthly comics on the stands. It is such a great read. This is a massive buy it. And and like we just reviewed the most recent last Ronin, the TMNT last Ronin book that blew us away. I finished that after reading this. I went and I immediately ordered the first trade paperback of the IDW TMNT like collection. I'm going to read the whole goddamn thing. I'm sick of being told how great this is. I'm sick of visiting every once in a while and loving it. I'm just in. Bye. Well,
1: they're way past a 100 issues at this point so. Fine with me. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat as you. Uh I other than for this show, I've never read this book regularly. I you know the issues we've reviewed, I've liked, but I've liked them kind of from a detached perspective because I'm not sure. familiar with what's happening. Uh I read this and I was like I was just so taken in by it. Um, that, that whole thing about the ninja spirits in Turtlebot is you don't get any of that in here <laughs> in this issue. So, um, I am a little bit surprised to hear that. Like, that's the first time I've ever heard that. Uh, I was also surprised by things that I guess I, I thought, uh, maybe they're, maybe they're classic elements from the Eastman and Laird, but like, April O'Neil is in this, but she's a lab assistant, not a reporter. That has changed.
0: Uh, that has changed for this story.
1: Okay. And but I mean, it's an it's a good change, right? Yeah. It, it, it explains why she's attached to the turtles, totally. And uh, you know, Baxter Stockman's up in the mix. There's a Krang gets mentioned, but oh, we yeah. don't we don't know any. We don't see what Krang is up to or what he is. Uh, and so, like, all of those things are there. Like, the only thing that was missing was Shredder, right? The only, there's no mention of Shredder, which is fine you got to save the, save the goods for later. But right. uh, yeah, I just, I, I loved this. I, I do think though, this is either picking up on some old history. Cause it's not a complete reboot. I it's know. a, it's a gentle reimagining, I suppose. Yes. Uh, but uh, cause a redux. Uh, sure. <laughs> that's not accurate, but yeah. Uh, because in the story, like Raphael is already separated from the family and they don't explain why. And even though there's a flashback, the flashback doesn't explain why. So I don't know if that's past continuity creeping in or if it's something that they would explain in future issues. That is
0: set up for like the first storyline, basically.
1: Okay. And that's fine. Um, But yeah, I I thought this was tremendous. Uh, Kevin Eastman is credited. You said he's credited as being the layout artist. Yeah, it says layouts and Dan Duncan is the artist. don't know why because this guy Duncan is so good. (laughs) Yeah. The Dan Duncan's art is so good Like what is Kevin Eastman even bothering for I've seen Kevin Eastman's art it's not that great Okay I, I mean it, is, uh, what it, is. it had, is what it is It is what it is right it is what it is It is style. what it is if you're buying a 19 If you're buying a black and white 1980s comic book About mutant turtles right But uh, you know this is a modern comic book Like I've seen Kevin Eastman's Modern comic art and it's like Kevin, god bless you kevin Eastman. Well, later on we get into i don't want to see him like
0: drawing a comic santa luoco starts drawing it and that guy's yes. exceptional uh, you know so and good. the art just gets better and better
1: yeah yeah no, but this guy dan duncan uh he's so good and i want to know like where did he go what's he been up to yeah he, i don't know how long did he draw this book it's been around for 100 issues right um but uh yeah it's huge by it i loved it i thought it was really great My final review leaps forward in time to 2009, two years before we started this podcast. It's Immortal Iron Fist number eight from Marvel Comics. I couldn't, get, I couldn't do the Kung Fu show without talking about the Immortal Iron Fist. I just couldn't do it. It's written by Ed Brubaker and Matt Fraction with art by David Aja and Roy Allen Martinez. Its cover price is 2.99, which you know is right there where you'd expect it to be. Here's your solicit. Once a generation, the seven capital cities of heaven align on a plane far beyond the ken of mortal men. I love that. I love that noun, the ken. I know. I love it. It is here that these cities send their immortal warriors to compete against one another in a combat tournament to end all tournaments. And it is here that Daniel Rand was spirited to in his darkest hour. Generations of mystical war traditions await their chance to prove they have the greatest kung fu. To the immortal Iron Fist. I've been meaning to revisit this run for a long time. I, I was stunned to make this realization. I, I have never gone back to it. I read it when it, I read it as it was coming out. I loved it. We've talked about it a thousand times on the show. I've never gone back and reread it. This episode was a great excuse. Thank God. There's a very detailed recap page because Brubaker infraction did a ton in the preceding seven issues. Danny's friend and lawyer, Jaren has been kidnapped Uh, You might know him as being a handsome woman uh, played by Carrie Ann Moss in the Netflix show (laughs) uh, in uh, Daredevil and uh, Luke Cage and all that. His arch nemesis Davos has been resurrected. There's a lot going on, but the writers weave it all together perfectly and the story is wonderfully packed with myth and intrigue. I actually had to kind of break myself of the dialogue style I've come to expect from Matt Fraction, as the tone here is a lot different. Uh, I'm going to have to give that to Brubaker, I would assume. This issue not only features the start of one of the best martial arts tournaments to grace comics, but it has the first appearances of the immortal weapons, including my fave Fat Cobra as well. Prince of Orphans, dog brother number one, uh, that weird sp- spider bride lady with that goes... Yeah. She's,
0: uh, oh, she's gross. Bride the of art- nine spiders. Was her name. Yes. The,
1: bri- <laughs> uh, the art in this issue is stunning, of course, but we knew that. Uh, but something I didn't realize uh, until revisiting this is how different David Aja's art looks here compared to his Hawkeye run. Here, the shadows are heavier and the lines are less crisp and precise. Uh, it's a great fit for the tone of the story. Uh, Hawkeye is very like solid shapes, full colors. You know, it's very yeah. geometric, right?
0: This is much more like it feels like a Chinese Kung Fu fairy tale.
1: Yeah. Roy Allen Martinez, who is not only not credited in this issue, except for his last name on the cover, there are no credits at all in the issue, Uh, but it is also nearly impossible to find his name mentioned in the issue's credits online. I had to go to three different websites before I found his name. He does a great job telling the flashback story of Danny's father, Wendell Rand, first discovering the hidden city of Kunlun or Kunlun. I don't remember where we came down on the pronunciation. Kunlun. Loon, I think it is. As much as I love Aja, I think Martinez actually depicts the fluid movement of the fighting action better. Uh, it, it was very much like um, there's a scene where Wendell uh, tries to attack Le Kung the Thunderer and it's very much like that scene in The Matrix where Neo tries to punch Morpheus. Yeah. And it's just like his hand is just like block, 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 block. It's great. Immortal Iron Fist number eight is a near perfect issue of one of the greatest martial arts series ever. I'm saying it for the record. It's a huge buy This comic rules. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know
0: if it's one of the greatest martial arts series ever, but this is the best Iron Fist run ever written. I mean, think down. of, think of no all discussion. of the martial arts.
1: <laughs> think of all of the
0: American martial arts sure. comics. This one has it all. It's got the tournament. It's got a bunch of badass fighters. It's got Iron Fist. You know, and they fleshed out that character so well. Because, like, go back and read the old Iron Fist. We've done it. They're yeah. fine. It's definitely yeah. a superhero comic with a martial arts bend. They turned Iron Fist into, like, a lineage. And... I know we complain about that sometimes where it's like, ugh, we can't just say there's always been a Captain America, and there's always been a Ghost ghostwriter.
1: I mean, you can probably sense. stop you could probably stop uh before you get to caveman
0: times, Jason right. Aaron. But it makes sense that yes, there's always been someone that had to be the immortal iron fist to keep this dragon at bay that would destroy the mythical city of Kunlun. And like yeah. that's really bad for reality. I'll buy that. You know, it <laughs> makes sense. I love this issue. I love this run. I love Matt Fraction and Brugger Baker's Iron Fist so much. If you have never read this, do yourself a favor and go and do so, and you will be even more upset thinking about what they did with Iron Fist on the Marvel Netflix series. (laughs) Huge buy it. It's true. It's true. Man, just what a wasted opportunity.
1: The immortal Iron Fist living weapon and protector of the ancient city is still A thundering dumbass.
0: Take us home, Bomber. My final review actually comes from a movie, and it was a comic I didn't even know happened. This is The Raid, number one from Titan Comics, from 2018. Three damn years ago, we were hosting a show. How did we miss this? This was written by Ollie Masters with art by Budi Satiawan, and I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, and I apologize. The Raid was a 2011 film directed by Gareth Evans that is easily one of my favorite martial arts films and so violent that two of the people I initially went and saw it with had to get up and leave the theater. It is an amazing film that removes the dance and pretty elements that the Shaw brothers made famous in their films and replaces it with sheer and brutal violence. Rama, who is the main character, is a cop in Jakarta sent to prison after trying to expose dirty cops that got his entire Special Forces group in the first Raid movie killed. Rama is a living weapon that injures people with one sudden and terrifying blow with his Pencak Silat fighting style. It's an extremely offensive-driven Malaysian martial art. This issue is a prequel to The Raid 2, which was even more violent somehow than the first one. It came out in 2014 masters takes a note from gareth evans movie and doesn't waste a lot of time with setup other than to show rama in prison while another bust is about to go down in a nightclub cedo one has a style that reminds me of eduardo rizzo's work on 100 bullets it's very realistic but oozing with style and holy shit does this guy know how to draw people getting hurt the fights are full of highlighted x-ray scenes that show bones breaking They've got punches and kicks that look like they ruin lives and assassins with weapons that would make most people cry thinking about what they could do, let alone getting stabbed with them. This creative team obviously loves the source material and does a perfect job telling a story in this nightmare version of Jakarta. Again, I have to ask, how in the hell did I miss this? I'm giving this a massive buy it. it it's so hard, let alone to do like, a comic book tie-in to a movie that's say a prequel leading up to whatever and make it feel the same and make it jibe with the story and everything and these guys I know you haven't seen the movies but this right. is tone perfect and works just perfectly for, as a setup for the raid 2
1: Sure. And so these this, these are Indonesian, right? In Indi- the uh the Jakarta's in Indonesia. So the these are Indonesian Indonesian martial arts movies, which I I thought was super interesting. The story is awesome. Uh the art is the real draw for me. I uh, I loved the art and I I'm a sucker for that x-ray shit. Any like close-up slow-down examination of a fighting move yeah. uh, like whether it's immortal iron fist uh where it's like blessed crane stomp of the whatever you know right. and uh or it's sherlock holmes the modern sherlock holmes movies where it's robert downey jr like analytically planning the whole fight in his mind sure. like the midnighter or it's this where it's like broken jaw broken <laughs> nose shattered <laughs> patella yeah. and it's like i i love it i love it i love it i love it, I love it hundred percent buy it this comic is rad i want to see the movies really badly oh they're so Um, violent and i don't uh i don't care are they streaming i hope they're streaming i'm sure I'll, i'll figure it out so good so good and again like i've heard about the movies i just never got around to seeing them i didn't know there was a comic either huge buy it well done We've fought our way through eight classic comics, but before the Cosmic long box sends us back to our appropriate time, we have to pick a champion. Matt, which of these comics kicked its way into your heart? And bonus question, who is your favorite comic book martial artist? It doesn't have to be from this pile.
0: Man, this is tough because I love that Iron Fist issue so much. But I I also think this like raid book was just so surprising because it came out in the past three years and I completely missed it and I love these movies so much but I I mean I think I'm gonna have to go with the Iron Fist book on this one because it's from probably arguably one of my favorite runs of comics not just one of my favorite like Iron Fist stories so I'm gonna go with yeah I'm gonna go with Iron Fist my favorite comic book martial artist is Connor Hawk period I mm. love mm-hmm. Connor Hawk son of Oliver Queen so much and like that paper monkey story that he's in with Batman where like all the killers are coming to kill him and he has no idea why. Yeah, Brotherhood of the Fist like there's a tournament. You didn't even know it was happening. The Brotherhood of the Fist tournament's happening and uh, everybody knows that you're the number one fighter in the world and Nightwing's like, wait a minute, it's not Batman? And Batman's like, no, I'm number four.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because Lady, I think like Lady Shiva's ahead of Batman. Yeah. Connor Hawk, I I feel like Connor Hawk might be on par with Lady Shiva, he or was ahead number, of Lady so Shiva. So
0: he was number two, according to okay.
1: The, so uh, Lady that. Shiva's number one, yeah. Uh, oh man, I love Connor Hawk so much, yeah. No, Connor Hawk is, uh, Connor Hawk is rad, and I actually thought about reviewing the first chapter of that uh crossover, uh, but mm, Chuck so, you know, for me, uh, as much as I love the Iron Fist issue, and I do very, very much, and the Batgirl issue, uh. You know they're familiar. They're, I love them. Part of the reason why I love them so much is because they're familiar, because I knew they were good when I picked them. Uh, I'm not giving it to the raid, even though I loved the raid, because it's a movie tie-in at the end of the day, and it's four issues and done. Right. You know, it's like a it's like a bridge between the two movies or something like that. Yeah. No, it takes it's during the raid two. it and, says and it's not to take anything away from it. No, no, no. It's it, right. It's it just that like it is. Like, what it is. It, it, it's like you can you can get the stuff. From the Raid comic, from the Raid movies. Yes. You know what I mean? You can get that feeling from those Raid movies. Uh, it's very, very well done. Kudos. I'm a fan. I'm a new fan. I'm a convert. I want to watch the movies. But I'm giving it to TMNT because it was a breath of fresh air. I, I came into it with no expectation other than like, I, I, I know in my head that like the Turtles are not what they were when I was a kid. Right. Right. I also know that the cartoon was not the original comic. You know, like I I know that there are so many different iterations of the turtles uh, that I was not expecting to love that comic as much as I did, and I did truly love it. And the art is legitimately good. Like if that was a comic book about human people and not anthropomorphic turtles, it would be just as compelling to look at. It's it's a beautifully drawn comic, and so it's yeah, it's TMNT number one for me. Uh, my favorite comic book martial artist. I was so set to say Iron Fist. What just happened? I doubted myself. I'm second guessing. Is it cheating to say Nightwing? No, because right behind Connor Hawk for
0: me would be Nightwing. I love Nightwing. Dick Grayson got so much more interesting once they established him as complete martial arts badass with two, like, tonfa sticks. Right. (laughs) Yes.
1: And, like, yeah, he was trained by Batman. Yes, he was Batman's partner. Yes, he even was Batman for five minutes. But... The best thing to ever happen to Dick Grayson was Wolfman and Perez putting him in that stupid high-colored outfit. Yeah. And giving him his own identity because that like character high, has thrived. He became high-flying martial artist at that point. Yeah. And, like, you could make the same, like, Daredevil, he's a martial artist. He's cool. I love Daredevil. Cool as hell. You could even say, you could even say Batman, though you're real basic if you say Batman is your favorite come up with martial artist. Uh, Nightwing, though. It's not just the martial arts thing. I just think he is my he is one of my favorite comic book characters, it, period. It is time. the Chuck Dixon, Scott McCloud, Nightwing series. Scott well. McDaniel.
0: It's yeah. Scott, pardon me. Scott, Scott McDaniel. McDaniel.
1: Yeah. That, that's where it started for me. And it continues now with the Tom Taylor, Bruno Redondo Nightwing, Man. which is, I'm telling you, a revelation. Oh, oh, if you're good. not reading it, it's, it's a mistake. Oh, so good. Hold it. If
0: you Brown Belts want to read along with us, you can find... Our episode review list on our Twitters and our Facebook weekly every Tuesday. And don't forget to check our Instagram feed to see our covers of the week every Wednesday. Now, a couple people hit me up. This is not us saying, go buy this cover. It's going to be worth money. It's not a specializing no, no, no. It's thing just at all. The
1: most, it's the cover that I found the
0: most striking yep. this week. It's a pretty picture that we happen to like. That's all. Also, You're not supposed to judge a book by it. Maybe you've heard that phrase. Exactly. Otherwise, I would not have picked the one that I picked this week. Also, <laughs> let us know what you thought about these comics and anything you read on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover. We do it every Saturday, except for this one coming
1: up on our Faces book, live from 11 to noon, Central Standard Time. It's true. Uh, I've got family in town uh, from Parts Unknown, and so uh, we're, we're taking a break because I've got family stuff. Parts it Unknown? It happens. You don't know where they're from? Yeah, like The Undertaker. <laughs> He's oh, from Parts Unknown. Okay. <laughs> okay. now that we've taken a legendary pounding from some of comics' greatest fighters, it's time to head to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to rub some healing salves on our wounds and meditate on our must-read picks for next week's new comics, Matt Bomb. How do you, why do you like this rubdown, buddy? Oh, it's not bad. you feel that. Dude, just, man, I'm getting, getting in there. Those, those
0: little lumberjack sausage fingers you've got. Oof, man, they really <sighs> get, get in know. there. Next week, my pick is dead box number one from vault comics this is written by mark russell with art by ben tiesma here's your solicit welcome to the town of lost turkey where the main source of entertainment is a cursed dvd machine that seems to know more about the fate of its citizens than they do this is the story of a haunted red box and in anyone else's hands i would say that's dumb and i don't care but this is Mark Russell, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. And I'm yep. sure you're sick of hearing it. But every time Mark Russell puts out a new comic book, one of us is going to pick it because it's going to be excellent. This is just dumb enough of a premise for a guy like Mark Russell to knock it clean out of the park. It's going to be great.
1: Yes, <laughs> <Okay>? I agree. <laughs> Joe, what's your pick? My pick for next week is May's book number one from Dark Horse. It's written and drawn by Jeff Lemire. It's $4.99. Here's your solicit. From New York Times best-selling and Eisner award-winning Black Hammer and Sweet Tooth creator Jeff Lemire comes this ambitious and haunting comic series about family, mourning, and reality. That's mourning with a U. Ooh. A lonely building inspector still grieving the loss of his puzzle-loving daughter receives a mysterious phone call one night from a girl claiming it's her and that she's trapped in the middle of a labyrinth convinced that this child is contacting him from beyond this world he uses an unfinished maze from one of her journals and a map of the city to trace an intricate path through a different plane of reality on an intense and melancholy adventure to bring his daughter back home the only way out is in Uh, i'm calling it now this is the lake maze she's in the past
0: yeah, maybe. Could be. It's the Lake Mace. It's know. Jeff is the Lake Mace. It's Jeff Lemire. He's, I think he's smarter than that. No, There's I no know. I'm kidding. I'm right kidding. Now. I'm kidding. Of course. I'll tell you what, though. Uh, Jeff Lemire got a taste of that sweet, sweet Netflix money and then I think he took, like, one of those like wooden things that they hammer into like a bourbon cask and then turn the thing and the bourbon <laughs> comes out and he's just pouring his brain out. Cause this dude's writing like 10 comics right now. It's true.
1: He's yeah. Like, and it's, you want Jeff
0: Lemire, you got Jeff Lemire.
1: <laughs> and I'm fine with that because I, I do want too. Jeff Lemire. And he's not putting out a single thing
0: that I wouldn't read. It's all really good.
1: Mm hmm. Yes. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. It looks super creepy and weird. And uh, I love not only, a- Not only do I love Jeff Lemire as a writer, I love it when he draws. I love Jeff Lemire as an artist. I know he's not for everybody. I get it. Um, But uh, yeah, I'm excited for this. The THN Trade of the Week and the official THN
0: Take a Look. It's in a book club read for September. Goes to... Basketful full of heads the trade paperback it's from dc black label hill house it's from all over the place it's written by joe hill with art by leo max which we're not certain if leo max is a person an idea a
1: masked wrestler
0: it's hard to know but he has one name 17.99 is your cover I, price I, and here I bet he's
1: also from parts unknown oh
0: yeah 17.99 is your cover price and here is your solicit June Branch is in trouble. She's trapped on Brody Island with nowhere to run. Her boyfriend Liam has been kidnapped, and four bloodthirsty escaped convicts will stop at nothing to find her. All poor June has to defend herself with strange Viking axe. Is a strange Viking axe with a terrifying power to decapitate a person and leave their head still talking! If she's gonna save Liam and herself, June will have to keep a cool head, or even a whole basket full of them. From number one New York Times best-selling writer Joe Hill, he wrote some other stuff. Comes Basketball heads, the flagship title in the smash hit, now canceled Hill House Comics Library. <laughs> featuring incredible artwork by Leo Max, who also worked on Lucifer. This spine tingling collection includes the entire seven issue miniseries, as well as character designs and behind the scenes sketches. Hill House apparently was a little too beautiful for this world. It we- burned bright. It burned bright and faded away we reviewed several of their first issues and we liked all of them i don't recall any of them that we i believe that is accurate yeah this one we especially love though so i'm looking forward to sitting down and reading the entire series it's september it's officially the start of spooky season as far as i'm concerned this one's gonna be fun
1: Be sure to pre-order these comics if you're looking for a quality read, and be sure to head to your retailer to pick up the THN Book Club read, Basketful of Heads. If you want to read along with us, you got the whole dang month to get it done. Dang. Excelsior!
0: That is it for THN 632. Next week, we get back to the dirty, filthy, disgusting business of reviewing new comics. And we're gonna do something else fun, too, so tune in if you want to rap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerd news we've been following. You can hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover. We do it every Saturday, starting at 11 Central Standard Time. We will be taking this week off. Joe's got some stuff doing, as I mentioned, but we have a question of the week for you to ponder in the meantime. By the way, just because we take a week off, doesn't mean you can't call us. Right that's right now and leave us your answer.
1: Well, like, uh, look, if you plan on being here when we return, that's fine. Say sure, it. but if you don't think you're going to be here, call and leave a message. We got all Sunday. kinds of stuff going on. We got a what if episode
0: tonight. We got Shang Chi
1: hitting this weekend. So yeah, 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 yeah. Let's, let's no, wrap spoilers, about it. No, no spoilers, please. No spoilers for Shang Chi. Some of us aren't going to the theater anytime soon. This week's question is courtesy of Frank Cirillo. There are some artists, creators, and writers out there in comics and other media who've turned out to be, quote, as loathsome as a toad, end quote, asterisk one. But we didn't know how bad they were till late in their careers. So the question is, when you find out someone is, quote, the rankest compound of villainous smell that ever offended Nostril, end quote, asterisk two, do you just stop reading their newest work or purge everything they've ever done from your home? And if they are that brilliant of a creator, how much time do you feel should go by until the work is recognized on its own apart from that creator's antics? Uh, A good example that Frank comes up with is HP Lovecraft who was virulently racist. Uh, asterisk 1, Titus Andronicus, Act 4, Scene 3. Asterisk 2, The Merry Wives of Windsor, Act 3, Scene 5. Frank is class enough to join with some Shakespeare. Just showing off his, like, college <laughs> minor. Yeah. Good for you, So, man. <laughs> to sum up, to sum up, we are not necessarily asking you to name names or, or put your own self on blast, but in the event that a creator you love ends up being a shitbag, How do you engage with their work going forward? Do you stop engaging with their work? Do you sell the stuff that you once loved? Right. Uh, Do you still revisit it knowing that you've already paid your money and what harm will it do? etc uh, etc cetera, et cetera. everybody has their own way of doing it and we're just kind of curious about rapping about it there's no judgment and the other thing i don't want to hear a damnation or a defense
0: of creators either don't you don't need to call in and be like oh man this guy needs to go to hell for whatever or yeah, i don't yeah, think no.
1: that guy did anything wrong and i want to yeah no. it, it, for whatever reason you have decided right that a creator is problematic how do you deal with it how do you deal with it and if you don't that's an answer
0: too like i don't let it bother me i just read comics that's an answer right no, I mean, one, we're not going to judge an you. Let's hear from you. The coward's answer, but it is
1: an answer. Sorry, I just got judgy. Uh, please After we could, just said
0: we wouldn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> I know.
1: But you know, that's the kind of that's the kind of like uh that's the kind of like uh, wild card stuff you expect from Joe Patrick. The internet's Joe Patrick. Please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming like Frank did. You can send them to us via uh the Twitter, uh Facebook email. You can submit them via voicemail. That's 402-819-4894. You use that same hotline to join the show or link up with our Zoom video chat by clicking on the link in the Facebook Live uh, video chat on the day of recording. And if you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 of your answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave it on the aforementioned hotline. You will be internet famous. We give that a money back guarantee unless the money was donated because That's right. no money actually changed hands. No. Sorry about that. Uh, please do keep it under two minutes and share the air with the rest of nerds.
0: We appreciate it. If you're new to this show and you're hoping Patrick Twayze will come and Roadhouse out both our throats so we can't speak anymore, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is, you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But host that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So you want to thank donors like our newest patron, ladies and gentlemen, he was once a boy. Now he's a man. You may have heard him grow up right here on this show. It is Danny from Iowa. God bless you, Danny.
1: Danny from Iowa, who used to call in. You beautiful uh, bastard. (laughs) I know. he's He's never stopped listening before we go, our weekly shout out goes to the Street Fighter himself, legendary martial arts film star Sonny Chiba. You might know him as Hatori Hanzo from Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill movies, but Chiba started out in B sci-fi flicks before going on to play GoGo13. 13. GoGo13, 13, wow. Yeah,
0: the live action GoGo13.
1: Man, I had that video game and it's super weird. Well, it's based and then on he a, became, and it's
0: based on a very well-known manga.
1: No, yes, it's true. And then he became a killing machine in his famous Street Fighter trilogy. Chiba died of COVID-19. Last week But we're sure He's whooping ass On a higher plane Now word to you Master Chiba Sonny Chiba
0: Scared me As a kid Where it's like Bruce Lee looked good At what he was doing Like looked sexy and Sonny Chiba Came on stage And started doing That dragon breath thing it was fucking scary He was gonna mess you up man Until next time True believers Remember to pre-order Your comics Or your retailer Might just do a Two finger death touch To your pile This is the Two headed nerd Signing off It will just destroy The quality I mean forget it Joe, fire up the Security AI to give these nerds an onomatopoeia of the week so we can get the hell out of here, will ya? Hello, this is Security AI, Aegis from Earth-27 calling with your onomatopoeia of the week. It is two days, three hours and eleven minutes since I last deployed countermeasures. Please remember that alien body parts should not be left in communal areas. If you do not comply, countermeasures will be deployed. Your anomatopedia of the weep is
1: BAM! BAM!
0: is the sound of Either Time Walker, shooting Admiral Horatio Nelson, in the pages of Either Time Walker number no. one from Valiant Comics, published 2015. Remember, Aegis is always watching. It's for your protection. Goodbye.